This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 40, and we are recording on Tuesday, August 2nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome. Hooray. Everybody's back. Everybody's back. You were at GeekyCon for a while. I was. I was. It was delightful, and I got to wear my modern-day abhorse and cosplay. And you were in Seattle, and you saw Adele. (laughs) I did. (laughs) I did. I flew to the opposite side of the country to see Adele, who was excellent, and very graciously acknowledged that all of her songs are super depressing. So, like, (laughs) which I did not consider before I went to see her. Like, I'm going to spend this entire show sitting down being sad. Um, (laughs) So she tried to be funny and, like, bantery in between songs because she knew that her songs were upsetting. So that was nice. And her... I didn't even think about that. You can't really, like, dance to Adele, There's no dancing. There's no dancing. And her, her, um, her accent's really great. She's got that, like, Cockney thing, and which she plays yeah. up to an American audience to, like, good effect. <laughs> she curses a lot. I loved it. Anyway. Amazing. So I don't know how to segue. It fr- maybe uh, you were at GeekyCon, so let's talk about another. <laughs> there that you was go. real bad. I'm sorry, y'all. Speaking of cons. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> this is your regularly scheduled reminder that you should join us at Book Riot Live, which is November 12th and 13th. It is the book party we have always wanted to go to, so we are doing our best to throw it for you. Um, You can find out more details at bookriotlive.com. And just for you, because we love you, we have a special code for our podcast listeners. If you use the code JAZZHANDS uh, during checkout, you will get $20 off your weekend pass, or I think it's like $10 off your day pass, but obviously you should come for the whole weekend. Um, We're going to start announcing programming soon, which I am so excited to share with everybody. Oh, and also August is the the last month that you can get the VIP perks when you buy your tickets. So you should go do that. Code JazzHands, 20 bucks off, bookriotlive.com. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, so if you are new to the show, like I said, this is a personalized reading recommendation show. So you will uh, write in your reading recommendation requests to us and we answer them on the show. So you can send them to uh, our email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can leave them in the form at the bottom of the show notes of every episode on Book Riot. Uh, and they can be anything. They can be book recommendations for you if you need something to, you know, fill the hole that Harry Potter left in your heart or whatever. Um, or they can be for a gift or for your book club. Doesn't matter. Anything. Send it in. If it's time sensitive, please do note that in the first line or in the subject line of the email um, so that we can try to answer it on time. Okay, let's go. We're going to tell you our first question, and then I will give you our first sponsor, and then we will give you our answers. All right. So our first question is from Anne-Marie, and it's a two-part question. Uh, The first part is, my friend asked me for a rec, which I am excited about since I have now become the friend to go to for book questions. (laughs) However, this woman doesn't read a lot, and her reading taste isn't quite like mine. She's looking for a book to read on a plane in the airport. She loves Sophie Kinsella books. I gifted her a 
Gurley Kinsella type books set in NYC before, which was YA, and the name escapes me now. I am recommending Dumplin' since I read it and loved it, and I think she might too, but I want to give her a choice. Any ideas? Also, I co-signed that Dumplin' wreck. Um, mm. And then the second part is for, she says, this is for myself. I just bought Villa Trist by Lucretia Grindle, and I was reminded how much I love a book that spans the ages. Years ago, I read The Forgotten Garden by Kate Morton and The Rossetti Letter by Christy Phillips. These types of stories have had something happen a long time ago, and due to circumstances, someone in the current day stumbles upon this mystery and wants to solve it. I love the Europe setting, but I'm not averse to a change of scenery. Are there more books out there like this? All right. But our first sponsor. Yeah. Okay. So our first sponsor is a... I keep making this stupid joke in my head. It's a, <laughs> it's a thriller. And... It's, like, very chilling. The synopsis sounds very chilling. So in my brain, I'm like, and it's so hot outside, so go read something chill. It's not the best. It's not peak joke. It's really cheesy. Anyway. I appreciate it. Thank you. The book is called After Anna. It's by Alex Lake. Excuse me. And this is a psychological thriller. It's about a little girl who's five years old, and she goes missing. She's taken from outside her school. Absolutely no trace, right? The, The police have no idea what's happened. There's... Uh, they're at a loss. The parents are, as one would expect, completely beyond grief. So she's gone. They don't know what's happened to her. But then a, exactly a week after she's, she's abducted, she, she's returned. Like, she shows up. But she has no memory of where she's been. Um, so she can't offer any help. And her parents are still stuck in this, uh, you know, like, horror of not knowing what's happened to their five-year-old little girl. Um even though they have her back. So that's how the book starts. Like, she disappears and then she comes back. And for the mom, who's one of the, like, the main character, for the mother, this is just kind of the beginning of the nightmare. She tries to figure out what's happened to her child. Um, So it's very, like, girl on the train-ish. It's been compared to what she knew, also, if you read that. And it was, it was an ebook bestseller originally in the UK. It was a number one ebook bestseller. And it has been a USA Today bestseller. And so now it's in print for the first time because it did so well in ebook. And it's a really great kind of summertime beach read mystery. If you like to read that sort of thing on the beach, which I really do. I read Gone Girl um, in a, on a vacation, and it was perfect. Uh, you know, very engaging. So check out that chilling thriller i'm so sorry it's after <laughs> anna by alex lake it's real bad that was real bad i can't get over it uh, um, okay anyway, so with this question we split it up jen took the first part about the recommendation for the friend and i took the second one about uh historical fiction so jen why don't you go first because you've got it's number one it's yeah, question, so, yeah um okay so i love me a good I guess it's chiclet. I don't know. Who cares? I love me a good uh, story about ladies and their feels and or just feelings in general. Um, So my first pick for your friend is The Royal We by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan, who you might know as the Fug Girls. I love them. I love them so much. Uh, And so The Royal We is about an American woman named Rebecca Porter who goes to Oxford uh, for college and ends up meeting and falling in love with the, like, crown prince, Nicholas. Um, and the book opens with them, like, on the verge of getting married, but there's problems. And then it jumps back to their first meeting and kind of takes you through their relationship. And it's so interesting to me that, who like, the authors are who they are. Because this book is really all about, like, how terrible the paparazzi and the media are to people who are in the spotlight for whatever reason, Um, whether they were born into the spotlight, like Nicholas, who's the prince, or have been dragged into the spotlight by association, like Bex, who is our heroine. Um, And, like, kind of they're the villains of the piece, and they're the ones writing it, because that's their job also, is to, like 
talk about famous people on the internet. So I think that's a really cool sort of flippy situation. And the book is so fun and enjoyable and full of feelings. Um, and you get to do that, like, you know, Americans looking at the British monarchy and, like, all of the crazy about that. And um, if you've ever, like, you know, followed all of the stories about Kate Middleton and Prince Harry and whatnot, uh, this book is a great choice for you. So that is The Royal Weep by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan. Oh, okay. and I guess, should I do my second one? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, right, sorry. Uh, confusions. And then my second pick for you is a book I am just head over heels in love with. People have been recommending it to me for a while, and I finally read it. And got to meet the author at GeekyCon. Uh, the book is Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli. And this is like a gay teen high school rom-com, which is <laughs> a thing we get so rarely. Um, and it's about a 16-year-old named Simon who is kind of like flying under the radar. He's not really out. Um, it's not like a huge deal to him, but he's, it's, you know, he's just kind of keeping it private. Um, and he is, in the meantime, having this online correspondence with a person whose name he only knows as Blue. Um, and Blue doesn't know his real name either. So they're having this sort of like secret correspondence and falling in love over email. Um, and neither of them are out. And it, he starts to discover, he's pretty sure that Blue goes to his school. So he's trying to figure out who Blue is and also, like, just kind of be a normal kid as much as, you know, possible. Um, and then one of his classmates sees the email. Simon has accidentally left it up on a school computer and tries to blackmail Simon with the emails into getting him a date with Simon's friend who's like, a hot new girl. And so the plot kind of goes out from there. Um, and it's really, it's really, it is a rom-com. Like, it's super funny, and there's a really happy, lovely ending. But it also gets really serious at certain points um, in a really well-done way. And I just think that Becky Albertalli is so good at her characters. The dialogue is so much fun. Um, the whole book is great. So that, and, like, you will have all of the feels about it. Like, it will just give you so many delightful feelings. So that is Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli. Okay, so the question, the, the, <laughs> Tuesday, the second question um, was for her and was for uh, books where something happens a long time ago and circumstances involve a current day person in a mystery from long ago. So that's what I went with. And my first pick is Guernsey, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Mary Ann Shaper and Annie Barrows, which is one of my favorite titles a book of a book ever. The Guernsey <laughs> Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. So this takes place in the UK right after World War II in like the late 1940s. And the main character is a girl named Juliet who's a writer and she's looking for um, her next like subject for a book. She's also just kind of generally trying to get her life back together after the war um, as so many people were in, you know, like 1947 or whatever year it is when this book takes place. And as she's doing that, going through the process of figuring out what she wants to write about next, she gets a letter in the mail, a random letter, from a man who lives on Guernsey, which is an island in the strait, uh, what's it called? The strait, is that the right word? Between England and France. What is, is it the strait of, of Gibraltar? Is that no, it's like no. the, the, oh my the gosh. Channel. Thank the, you. the channel. Thank you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 
<laughs> Geography. Um, so Guernsey is an island that was that's in between France and England and was occupied by the Nazis. And so she gets a letter from a person living there who has come across a secondhand book that Juliet used to own that she wrote her name and address in and gave away or sold or whatever. And so this person on this island has gotten hold of the book and has read it and loved it. And so has written Juliet a letter explaining to her that he's found the book and he loved the book and how her book played a part in their, what they called Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which was ostensibly a book club that the people who lived on Guernsey were doing, but was in actuality a front for like a black market um, organization and an excuse for the people who lived there to stay out past the curfew that the Nazis had set. So now Juliet, of course, has found the thing she wants to write about for her next book. So she goes to Guernsey um, to figure out like what this society was and how it was formed. And there's also kind of a um, like a mystery surrounding a person who lived on the island, a woman who moved to the island and was kind of a newcomer and her interactions with the Germans. Um, and so it's got a lot of that like kind of Kate Morton feel, I think. And it's very just kind of heartwarming. And I really, I really enjoyed it. It's a little bubblegum, but in like a really nice way. Um, so yeah, that's the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows. And the second pick for you is not in... Europe. It takes place in the South in America, and it's called The Peach Keeper by Sarah Addison Allen. And I I don't know if I've talked about this title before, but I know I've talked about Sarah Addison Allen before. She writes really um, nice kind of magical realism all set in the South. And this particular one is about two women who um, live in North Carolina in a town called Walls of Water, which is just such a Southern lord, such a Southern name. Um, Willa and Paxson, I think, is the other woman. They're in their 30s, and they both have kind of settled down. Willa used to be sort of a party animal and has moved back home after her father died to kind of, like, be a good girl. Uh, now that her father is dead, she feels like she owes him that, so she's living this kind of boring, everyday sort of life. And then Paxton is the opposite. Paxton is this just, like, upstanding debutante, did all the things right that one does when one is raised in North Carolina, and is just bored out of her mind. So the two of them kind of become friends over the course of this book. Paxton is in charge of restoring the Blue Ridge Madam, which is this old, um, I guess, plantation house that used to be in Willa's family, um, but is now being turned into an inn. And while she's doing the work to restore the house, the landscapers uh, discover a skeleton buried underneath the property's only peach tree. And so Paxton, who is in charge of this project, and Willa, whose family used to own the house, uh, go off to solve this mystery of, like, who is this guy, this guy who was buried um, on this property, and where did the skeleton come from, and, like, how are their families involved? Because it turns out their families are involved, and it's all women. Like, all of the their mothers and grandmothers were involved in this... Uh, murder suicide death you know i'm not i mean i can't like really say anymore without spoiling it but anyway uh thing comes back from the past to haunt the current members of these families and a mystery has to be solved and it's got really nice female friendships there's a little romance through it and a little bit of magical realism not like too much we're not this is not like gabriel garcia marquez but there's a little bit it's nice so that's the peach keeper by sarah addison allen all right Question two. It's me. Um, I look like I did not write down who asked us this, so I'm sorry. So we're going to go with this is from Anonymous. Whoops. Um, she says, I'm going through a bad breakup and just read You Don't Have to Like Me. I'm finding the feminist literature is really helping me get through this. I've read books in the past like Yes, Please and Bossy Pants, but I'm interested in reading more books specifically about modern feminism. I'm open to essay collections, memoirs, short stories, and fiction. Any ideas? 
Jen. Yes. We so, do have ideas. So many ideas. <laughs> this um, is great. <laughs> yeah. This is our wheelhouse <laughs> yes. here. Uh, okay. So my first pick for you is Unspeakable Things by Lori Penny, which I am about halfway through right now. Um, Lori Penny is great. She writes a lot of columns for different places around the internet. And Unspeakable Things is her looking at feminism in the 21st century. So basically exactly what you're talking about. Like she has, in the course of her work as like an outspoken feminist and and a person in the media, has seen a lot of like all of the struggles that feminism is going through. Um, And she is an intersectional feminist. She talks a lot in this book about the intersections of race and class and gender um, and uh, and their impact on what kind of struggles people face in the world. She is so unapologetically revolutionary. I just love it. <laughs> um, but she's also not talking about, like, burn it all down, put all the men in cages. Like, she's actually got this really interesting chapter about um, this idea of toxic masculinity and how you can work or not work you know, with men in feminism um, and men as feminists. And anyway, she I just think she is so smart and she takes a really astonishingly balanced approach that is also super revolutionary, which I think is a really hard thing to do, but she somehow pulls it off. It's, it's amazing. Um, and like she's talking about sex work and she's talking about assault and she's talking about trolls on the internet and eating disorders and she just like covers so much ground. Uh, so that is Unspeakable Things by Lori Penny. Okay, my first uh, pick for you is Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit, which might be an essay that you are familiar with because it made its rounds around the internet when it first came out and she's turned it into kind of a, like a small collection of essays. It's really a short book. It's like 150 pages. Um, but all of the essays in it deal with the various and innumerable ways in which women are encouraged to be silent in the presence of men. The titular essay, Men Explain Things to Me, is um, kind of where the... T- the, she didn't coin the phrase, but it was the inspiration for the phrase of mansplaining, if you've heard that, which is that phenomenon when men explain things to women really condescendingly without ever considering the fact that the woman probably already knows that information or probably knows more about the topic than the man does, um, which is a really, this is a, this happens to me every day. It's just so irritating. Anyway, but she uses that phenomenon to, um, in a broader sense, talk about how uh, this thing where men feel totally entitled to speak over women and invade their space, how that leads to things like rape culture. And um, so she talks a lot about campus rape culture and rape culture, not just in Western societies, but across the world. It is, a, And I appreciate that about this book, because she's not just talking about feminism in the, the U.S. and the U.K. She's talking about feminism as it applies to women across the globe, um, which is a sticking point with um, feminism, I think, in the U.S. here is that we don't consider that a lot. But anyway, it's a excellent, will make you so ragey. It made me so ragey, um, but in like a productive way. And it's also very validating of experiences that pretty much every woman, I think, has, has had um, just by existing in the patriarchy and being female. So that's Men Explain, Thing, Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit. 
There was a guy reading that on the train the other day, and I wanted to, like, high-five him. (laughs) Good job, you. (laughs) But I didn't. I restrained myself. Uh, My second pick for you is a memoir. It's called Redefining Realness by Janet Mock, who has been a really prominent uh, transgender woman, like, in the media. She's very outspoken. She's been on a lot of panels. um, And she sort of outed herself publicly in 2011 in a profile with Mary Claire. But she, as she says at the beginning of her memoir, she felt like the, she didn't really recognize the woman in that profile because it, she had, you know, she wasn't doing like a full expose with them. It was kind of skimmed along the surface of her transition and her personal journey. And she felt like the woman who was like so brave and so confident and powerful in that profile, like didn't really reflect who she was. So she decided to write her memoir to like give the full story of what it was like to grow up um, trans and being told as a boy that he needed to be more boyish and then becoming Janet and dating. Um, it revolves a lot around her relationship um, with her partner, Aaron. Um, and it, it's just really, I mean, it's incredibly powerful. Um, and it's really interesting because it really, she works hard at breaking down all of these gender dynamics that, especially if you are cis, you just don't, like if you were born the gender that you identify with or you don't really think about how these things can limit us or trap us or or we just play into them without even really thinking about it. So uh, that is Redefining Realness by Janet Mock. Okay, my second pick for you is Shrill by Lindy West. The subtitle is Notes from a Loud Woman. And this is a new book. It just came out, I think, a month ago. Um, and I really recommend listening to it on audiobook. Lindy reads it herself, and she's hilarious. And there are excellent moments where you can hear her, like, trying to not crack up at her own jokes and these are just, I laughed out loud so much both at the jokes and at like listening to her trying to hold herself back which is great um anyway so this is part memoir uh part collection of essays about various uh feminist issues so she talks about um how she kind of stumbled into being an activist she started her career as a journalist um and didn't wasn't and was doing like movie reviews and stuff like that and didn't and never necessarily thought that she would ever get into uh, openly at being an activist and so she talks about how she ended up doing that about how she got into the fat acceptance movement about how the feminist movement tends to ignore um, body positivity there's a lot of fat positive stuff in this book which I really appreciated um, she <laughs> my favorite um, chapter or essay or whatever is one that she writes about her experience with internet trolls and how she she's had like a really hard time. Um, with internet trolls, she's had to be in contact with the FBI more than once. And the title of that chapter is Why Fat Lady So Mean to Baby Men? And it's just, just the best. It's so perfect. <laughs> it's, amazing. it's so perfect. And the, the reason why I think this would be especially good for you is because she's funny. Like, Men Explain Things to Me is necessary. Shrill is necessary, but also hilarious. So if you want to feel better about... Um, we're not necessarily better about how awful things are for women in the world, but, like, uh, not as sorrowful, but more like, yeah, let's fix it, kind of. That's, I think, the effect that Shrill has. It's the effect that Shrill had on me. I don't deal with anything near to what Lindy West has to deal with. Her internet presence is huge. And she also has to deal with so much fat shaming. Um, but... Uh, some of it is a little familiar to me. I mean, women who exist on the internet have all experienced some level of the kind of stuff that Lindy West does. And she just kind of makes you laugh at it, which is a little bit what you have to do to survive it. So um, there's stuff about that. She also talks about her abortion, which I've noticed that a lot of uh, like feminist memoirs recently 
uh, have included women being more open about that experience, which is really necessary. Uh, and I appreciate that a lot too. So yeah, so that's Shrill uh, Notes from a Loud Woman by Lindy West. Please listen to it on audio. All right. Let's see. Next question is from Nikki. Uh, Every summer, I get a moody craving for summer beach reads. I want something sun-soaked, usually with all sorts of family drama. I often go for books that tend toward rich white people problems with some sort of literary heft, although I'm certainly open to more diverse options. I prefer books written by women and featuring female characters. In the past, I've scratched this itch with The Beautiful Ruins, Seating Arrangements, The Vacationers, and A Hundred Summers. What should I check out this summer? Okay, uh, I'll go first. Um, okay. My first pick for you is technically a YA book. Uh, it's We Were Liars by Lee. Lee blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> we Were Liars by E. Lockhart, um, and it was a National Book Award finalist, and uh, or she is a National Book Award finalist and Prince Award honoree. Um, and it, it's hard, so it's a little hard to talk about this book without spoilers. But it's about a family of rich people who are on their own, like, private island. So there you go, rich people. Um, and there is this very complicated fi- family dynamic. There's three generations. There's the dad, and then his daughters, and then their children. And you are reading it from the perspective of one of the children who are their teenagers. Um, and the father is, like, playing the the daughters off of each other. Um, Lockhart has said that she took a lot of inspiration from King Lear for writing this book, which I think you can see. Um, And then there's this horrible incident that the main character does not remember, and the book follows sort of her rediscovering what it is that happened, um the summer before so i that's all i'm gonna say um <laughs> it is great it's a page turner it's so engrossing you're just like what is happening um and it like really excels at that rich people problems genre so in, in addition to being kind of thrillery so it's a nice combination so that's we were liars by e lockhart I love rich white people are problem books. Like, I love them so much, um, especially in the summer. Yeah, this is a great question. Okay, anyway, so my first pick for you is Carry the One by Carol Anshaw, um, which came out a couple of years ago, I think in 2012. And this is exactly that, like people with a lot of problems. So the conceit here is, then this is not a spoiler, this happens on like the first page. Uh, a bunch of, a group of friends and like siblings, I think there are five of them, leave a wedding Uh, in the middle of the night they're all like drunk and stoned and have no business driving and yet this is what they're doing and they hit a little girl uh, and kill a little girl in the middle of the night and then it follows the five or I think it's five whatever the number of them that were in the car through the next 25 years in which they are all carrying the memory and the guilt of what they have done um through their adulthood and so there's a lot of things that are like everybody all of the characters deal with it in a different way Um, One of them becomes a drug addict and the family just kind of has to like watch that person hit rock bottom. Some of them become artists and deal with it in that way. Some of them become social justice advocates and activists as a way to kind of mitigate their guilt. And they are all super aware that they're like wealthy and privileged and it was their entitled recklessness that like ruined this life and the life of the little girl's family. And so um, how do you, how? Like how do you deal with that? How do you carry that for the rest of your life knowing that you've destroyed um, 
a life and then all the life of everybody who loved them. Um, so it's really like heavy. Uh, and this isn't like, like in the nest kind of where the, the rich people problems are like, I don't have enough money for my second beach house. This is more like I've killed someone and how do I deal with that? So it's a bit uh, different on the, the scale of the problem, but you're still looking at like entitled people sort through their stuff, which I think is the, um, the thing that I like so much about that like subgenre of literary fiction. Um, and along with, with that, with being like literary and having a lot of heft, it's also like a page turner um, because Carol Anshaw is just such a good writer and you're so invested in these characters who are objectively awful. Like they're awful people, obviously, uh, but they're tr- they, some of them are trying to be better. And so you just like, you just want to know, like you want to know if they succeed and you want to know if they ever figure out a way to pay that debt then like how would you ever even start um so yeah let's carry the one by carol anshaw all right my second pick for you is called rich and pretty by ruman alam uh it just came out earlier this year and i love this book um i actually don't read a ton of like straight up contemporary normal people novels (laughs) um they usually have a bit of a twist to them but i thought this one was done so well so the conceit is is that it's about two friends um one of whom is rich and one of whom is pretty uh hence the title and um they have been friends since they were like 12 and now they're in their 30s and so they're past college you know they're starting to you know, settle into their lives um, as adults. Uh, Sarah is getting married. Lauren is trying to climb the ladder at the publishing company she works for. Um, and in the course of, like, the wedding planning, um, their friendship is really kind of, they're trying to figure out how to continue to relate to each other as, quote-unquote, best friends. Uh, and and there's, like, all kinds of, you know, those obstacles. Like, Lauren doesn't really understand why Sarah is marrying the guy she's marrying, and Sarah doesn't understand why Lauren won't, like, settle down with the perfectly nice guys that she's met over the years. And um, And Sarah's parents are, like, Oh, they're they're horrible. Um, their father is a like prominent like political intellectual advisor to um, you know different administrations, and there's all these accusations that he's like you know a warmonger and all of this stuff. And her mother is like a beautiful ex folk singer who like is always in the spotlight. And Sarah really struggles with that family dynamic. And then Lauren is very independent, and you know kind of like just wants to live her life the way she does and Sarah judges her a lot and anyway there's all of these like complicated feelings that they have about each other but you really do also get to see like why it is that they have been best friends for so long um and so the novel is really just about how they are gonna continue to relate or not relate to each other um as their lives change and there's like there's a great scene in the with a bachelorette weekend at a hotel that like goes awry and oh it's just very it's a really great summer book um about like fake problems <laughs> so that's rich and pretty by ruman alum i mean they're like real emotional problems yeah, but they're not but they're real not life real. problems do you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. it's different it's different it's like well how am i gonna pay for my second house like right exactly. like that's a problem i understand how that causes you anxiety right. however not a real problem yeah Okay, so my second pick for you is has real problems. It's everything I never told you by Celeste Ng, um, which is a mystery, uh, literary, very literary, and a um, 
was kind of obsessed with it when it came out. So the book, it takes place in, 19, in the 70s in Ohio, and it's about a kind of well-to-do, like upper-middle-class Chinese-American family um, in the 70s. The book opens with the death of their favorite kid, who is, her name is Lydia. She's, I think, 16, um, and she is missing. And the, in the, like, literally the first sentence, you know that she's dead, so this is not a spoiler. Um, and then they've got two other children. The father is Chinese and the mother is white, and she has she gave up her kind of dreams of becoming a doctor in order to get married and have children and has hoisted all of her ambitions and dreams onto Lydia, who is now missing and, as the reader knows, is actually dead. So you're kind of watching the family as they figure out what happened as they try to figure out what happened to Lydia the cops obviously become involved um, and you don't know how she died you just know that she's dead so you're watching them discover that fact and find out what exactly happened to her but and in the course of that there's a lot of flashbacks you're also um, prying not prying but like diving into each family member's personal problems that the other ones don't really know about so uh, what secrets are the children keeping from their parents, what secrets are the parents keeping from their from themselves, how much does being a Chinese man in the 70s in Ohio affect the father, how much does being a housewife who gave up her dreams to get married affect the mother, all of that kind of stuff is happening. So there are a lot of, like, problems. Like, everyone in this book has problems, but it's all wrapped up in thinking about race and gender and it also in this mystery of, like, where is Lydia and what happened and how does a family deal with losing their favorite child and how do the other children in the family deal with knowing that they are not that favorite child who is now gone. Um, so that's Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. All right. Moving on. Question four. This is from Anna. Um, she says, I'm writing to ask about books I can send to my mother. I've always been different in her eyes. Everything from my spiritual beliefs to my sexual preference has gone against what she stands for. I've tried for years to keep the peace between us, but as a woman in my 30s now, I no longer have the patience to lie to her or skirt the issues. I am who I am, and if she can't accept me, then I at least want to expose her to stories outside of her own except, uh, outside of her own, in order to get acceptance and understanding. I can only hope that our mutual love for reading will allow me to engage her in a different type of discourse, one that will allow us to meet in the middle and at least agree on respecting one another. That's a tough one. Tough, tough. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll just keep going. Um, so without knowing, like, the specifics of exactly what you're... Kind of not arguing, but, you know, like the differences between you and your mom. You hinted at a few, but I, I, I just kind of took a broader view instead of, like, picking an issue book for you, you to give her. Um, but the first one is a collection of essays. It's called The Empathy Exams by Leslie Jameson. And this is a, like I said, collection of essays where it's almost kind of, it's, it's almost pain tourism, which is an unfortunate term, and, but that's not what she's doing. But the author goes to different... Um, like she goes to a convention of people who are sick who think they have a disease that doctors don't believe is real. So she's going to see what their lives are like. She travels to a really poor and violent, uh, violent town in Mexico for an author conference. Um, and while she's there, she uh, kind of dives into the difficulties of living in that town. She goes to a really um, violent, I don't remember, is it in New York? God. Or no, it's in Detroit, I think. She goes to, or no. It's in California. Haha, ha, nailed it in LA. Um, she goes to a gang ridden neighborhood on an actual tour, like a bus tour of, that's uh, put on by ex gang members and, and ex felons to that like takes tourists around this poverty, crime ridden, gang ridden area and like shows them what life is like there. So she goes to all of these different places and, and has all these different experiences in order to kind of understand how 
we feel a feel for other people, like how we develop empathy. If, if we're born with empathy and if not, is it a performance? And how do you perform empathy? And like just all of these questions about compassion and understanding and accepting other people, even when their problems seem like seem performed to you or don't seem important, which I think um, despite the fact that none of these essays probably have anything to do with the things that you clash with your mom about just maybe a good starting point might be like thinking about empathy as a fact and like thinking about compassion as its own thing that is worthwhile. Um, so I think it would be a good kind of conversation starter or starting point. So that's the empathy exams by Leslie Jameson. Yeah, this is this is a tough question. Um, I also was I was trying to think of books that present people with uh, sort of quote-unquote unconventional lives just as a matter of course like the book isn't about that the book is about something else but there are different kinds of people in it um, and one of the books I thought of which I think would make a great mother-daughter book club book for really anyone um, is Modern Lovers by Emma Straub uh, and it's about a group of friends who met in college and are now now they're now their kids are about to go to college um, and they're all living on the same block in Brooklyn and um, they are one family is a hetero white family and then the other family uh, are lesbians and they're pe persons of color and um and so there's but the book is about like they're trying to deal with like their kids going to college so they're facing empty nest syndrome one of the couples is contemplating divorce um their secrets coming out from their college years because somebody they were all in a band together and somebody is digging around for movie rights and they're fighting about whether or not to give over the movie rights um and it's a little bit like rich people problems actually like everybody <laughs> has so much money in this book that like none of their problems felt actually real to me like nobody's ever worried about like how they're gonna pay the mortgage like a <laughs> restaurant literally burns down in this book and they're like well you know okay I was, as long as everybody's okay <laughs> you're just like all right well yeah. that's that's nice that's an experience um, i don't yeah. understand <laughs> And, like, there's a lot of uh, problems revolving around the interpersonal relationships. Like, one of the couple's spouses doesn't love that how tight the other two are, like, friendship-wise and feels like a third wheel when they're all together and, you know, all of these things. So there's a lot of um, interpersonal relationship stuff that doesn't revolve around, you know, being gay or being an atheist or being whatever it is. Um, it's just about people who have these lives and then are trying to deal with the other issues in their lives. So I thought that might be like a kind of like a maybe almost sneaky like way to slide it in there. Um, and it's a great slice of life novel. So that's Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. Okay, so <laughs> the second one that I picked for you, I picked because it's the book that saved me from being a jerk. Um, and I say that because... <laughs> I can't like, wait to hear this story. I'm so excited. <laughs> like, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without, like, offending or continuing to be a jerk, to be honest. Um, so I was... Short story. I was raised very, like, super conservative in the South and, like, Ayn Rand conservative in the South. And I carried that philosophy and that way of thinking and kind of that, like, closed-mindedness um, uh, to college. And then when I... Or, through high school mostly. And then when I got to high school, I read The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, which kind of instantly cured me of all of that um, lack of empathy and lack of understanding of other people and uh, kind of just made me slightly left of Trotsky, I guess. Um, so anyway, not saying that you have to be left of Trotsky to be a compassionate person, but that was, that was just my personal experience. Um, so I was thinking that perhaps 
since it's a classic, she might be more open to it um, than if you presented her with something, you know, that, that she might not have ever heard of. Um, and also, it's a hammer. Like, there's nothing about the Grapes of Wrath that's, like, subtle. It's very much like an emotion. He's wielding an emotional hammer to get people who don't understand poverty or who don't understand um, what it is to be an other to kind of understand that. So if you're looking for, not a weapon, but like a book that's really going to get a point across of like other people exist in the world who have an experience that isn't anything like yours, and I think this is um, might help. Um, so if you aren't familiar with The Grapes of Wrath, it's about a, a family, the Jodes, who live in the Dust Bowl, I think Arkansas, um, during the Great Depression, and they, like hundreds and thousands of other people during the late 30s um, in, oh, it's Oklahoma. In the Dust Bowl, they lose their farm um, through a series of, like, financial problems and weather-related issues. The bank takes their farm away from them, and so they start traveling west. They pack everything they own in this, like, horrible jalopy, and they start traveling to California because they've heard that in California there is, you know, this land of milk and honey where you can be you can support your family and kind of survive. And so the story is the story of them traveling from Oklahoma to California. And of course they realize ultimately that that is an incorrect promise. And while they're on their way there, they have repeated collisions and trials and hardships um, that come with being migrants, that come with being poor, that come with being um, like, I don't know if you've heard the term Okies, but they were essentially a marginalized group of poor people that everyone else kind of looked down on. Um, so being ostracized by society, not having any help, um, whatever. It's like just a really specific and blinding look at injustice um, that will force compassion into the coldest of hearts, including mine own. <laughs> so give that a try and see if that works. So that's The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. All right. My second pick for you... It's a little left field, but um, it's a Star Wars book. I don't know how you guys feel about Star Wars. Maybe your mom likes Star Wars. Like, I don't know. Uh, the reason... So, okay, so the book is Bloodline by Claudia Gray, and it is a story about um, Leia. Uh, let's see, where is this in the Star Wars universe? It's like... Yeah, okay, so it's after the Rebellion defeated the Empire, but before the events of the Star Wars The Force Awakens movie. Um, and it's about her, Leia, being a senator. So she's trying to, like, you know, pass legislation and, like, sort of create a government that's not going to be, you know, the Empire um, in this very troubled world. Uh, and one of the people that she finds herself having to work with is this young other senator named Ransom, who who has very different politics from her. Um, he, like, believes that while the Empire went astray, there were good things about it. He has all this, like, imperial paraphernalia in his office. Um, and she's <laughs> just like, who are you? Like, what is wrong with you? How are you? What? And so, and a lot of the book, I mean, there's other things that happen in the book, too, but, like, the relevant portion is that uh, throughout the book, they come to understand, like, each other's perspectives and that, like, they're not as far apart part politically as you would think they are at first glance um and so it's all about people trying to figure out like negotiating a relationship with somebody who appears to believe in the exact opposite things that you believe in so and it's about star wars like there's wookies and lightsabers and stuff like what <laughs> i mean that's great so <laughs> so i don't know i don't know if that will work for you guys but i think it could work if um if you're open to a star wars novel so that is bloodline by claudia gray 
All right, time for our second sponsor, which is To the Bright Edge of the World, the new uh, novel from AO and Ivy, who I know many of us love very, very much, right? Amanda's always recommending The Snow Child, which is her (laughs) first book. Um, And this new one is an adventure story uh, set in Alaska. It's about a decorated war hero named Colonel Alan Foster, who leads a band of men on an expedition that, like, everybody believes is impossible. They're going to travel up the Wolverine River and into the untamed Alaska Territory because this takes place in 1885, right? So it's still a territory. It's not a state yet. Um, And he's leaving behind his wife who is, of course, pregnant because... Because. And, um, <laughs> because conflict. Because conflict, right? And uh, and he's recording his journal, he's recording his experiences in a journal in the hopes that, like, at the very least, if he doesn't make it back, um, they will, his family will have his journals of what happened to him um, to remember him by. And so... He is, you know, facing all of the things that you face when you take an expedition into the wilderness in 1885. Um, And Sophie is on her own in Vancouver trying to get through a really difficult winter while being pregnant and a woman basically on her own. Um, And as part of uh, what's going on with her, she turns to this new art of photography um, to try to help her make sense of her own feelings, what's going on around her, and all of these things. So, and it takes place about over the course of I think a year Um, and if you like adventure stories people are always asking us for like Alaska books I feel like so this is oh no they're asking for Antarctica but anyway if you like snowy novels um, this is a good one if you like family stories this is a good one if you like stories that are very atmospheric and take you in places you don't expect this is a good one so and it just came out so that is To the Bright Edge of the World by Eowyn Ivey all right. It's still you. Oh, it's still me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Keep that's all right. That's fine. Uh, okay, this question is from Shayna. I just finished listening to the audiobook of Unbroken, and I absolutely loved it. I love the combination of a fast-paced story with learning about a part of history I knew nothing about. I'm looking for suggestions for more audiobooks with a great story and a little history lesson, preferably about something I may not have learned in high school. I have also recently listened to and enjoyed The Devil in the White City, Seabiscuit, The Boys in the Boat, and The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Oh, yes. Okay. Amanda, please to talk. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, okay. My first one is Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy by Karen Abbott, which is about four women who in some capacity work undercover during the Civil War. So there are two, I think, yeah, there are two, um, like, Southern women and then two women from the North. Uh, One is kind of a socialite. She's my favorite. Well, my favorite She's also a Confederate spy and is a horrible person, but she's a character. Belle Boyd, who was a kind of, um, so, like, a very Scarlett O'Hara sort of character who becomes a spy for the Confederacy and totally uses, like, how men on both sides fell all over her to serve what she considered to be, like, the grand cause or whatever. Anyway, um, there's uh, Emma, who is from Canada and came down to the U.S. and assumed the identity of a man to escape her like really horrible past uh, and then joins up the uh, and enlists as a union private and has to you know uh, like all the things that that entails um there's a widow rose greenhow who's amazing and she lives in the north but she's a spy for the south and there's there's another wealthy uh woman who lives in richmond her name was elizabeth who is an abolitionist a secret abolitionist who has to like hide and pretend to be a supporter of the confederacy while she's ferrying um prisoners of war 
um, out of Richmond home. Um, and I especially enjoyed this book because a lot of it takes place in my hometown and like I, I can go outside and like half of the book took place two blocks away and that's interesting. Anyway, um, so it's super fast paced in a way that you don't ever expect a history book to be because um, these women, th their lives were at risk literally all the time. Like no matter what they were doing, they were always about to get arrested or about to get found out by their neighbors or, um, you know, about to get shot on a battlefield. So you're following them with like this bated breath. And it's also super fascinating. These are stories of war that we don't often hear, especially the Civil War, which was very much like a man's game um, or not in reality. But, you know, if history books would be believed, it was very much a man's game. So fascinating, fast-paced, great history. That's Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, Four Women Undercover in the Civil War by Karen Abbott. My first pick for you is Tableau's Top, a Cold War comic interlude starring Nikita Khrushchev, America's Most Unlikely Tourist. That is the mm. full title <laughs> by Peter, Peter Carlson. This book is great. This book is about an actual trip that Khrushchev took in 1959 across America. He went on a road trip of America to, like, see the sights. <laughs> this is real. This happened. Um, he, like, went to San Francisco and, to you know, wandered into a class in home ec in Iowa. And, like... That's the greatest mental image. I mean, it's just... You're like, well, this isn't real, is it? But it is real. It really happened. Um, there's all kinds of, like, media coverage of it at the time, so I don't know what why we don't remember it better, but we don't. Um, so, and, and Carlson really, like, goes out of his way to... To make this a funny, enjoyable narrative. I mean, the, the subject matter in and of itself is hilariously weird. Um, and he just runs with it. He runs right along with it. So, um, and in the meantime, like, you have to remember, this is 1959, so, like, and he's, Khrushchev is a communist, mm -hmm. and this is, like, the 50s, and there's the bomb, and there's, like, the Red Scare, and there, you know, the Cold War, and, like, and Khrushchev is taking a road trip around America. So, you know, enjoy. Um, <laughs> so that is Cablo's Top by Peter Carlson. <clears throat> okay, my second pick for you is Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History by Florence Williams, which is the most random history book I've ever read in my life, and I loved it so much. The, it had a it, good cover, too. It's so, it's like hills. Anyway, yeah, it's yeah. great. Um, it's about exactly what it sounds like. It's about breasts and how, not just how um, our, in the Western civilization, our, our conception of what they're for has changed from being a thing that you use to feed children to being like this very fetishized sexual object. Um, but it's also about like the evolution of the breast and like why humans have them so consistently, like every other, most other mammals have them when they're breastfeeding or when they're pregnant, but when they're not, they essentially go away. But humans keep them for, like, all of our life until we die. And why is that? And she also goes into how modern living is affecting both breast health and size, which is, was really fascinating to me, and now I'm really, like, terrified of any and all plastics. Um, and she, like, tests her own breast milk uh, to, and, like, discovers all of these toxins that she didn't know that she was, like, ingesting um, and are, like, getting in her breast milk, and it's really scary. Um, what else? Uh, oh, and she also goes into the history of breast augmentation and the other ways in which humans change the shape or size or whatever of their breasts in order to conform to a social norm or to feel better about themselves and like how the, the origins of like the implant itself are really odd as you know most medical discoveries are like it had nothing to actually do with breasts and was entirely unrelated um, but it's just really fascinating and not a thing you know when I when this first book first came out I remember being like 
why though? <laughs> like, why do we need a history of breasts? But we have histories of of like every other aspect of human anatomy. Um, and I think it was really like a, a little bit of internalized sexism that made me feel like this topic wouldn't be interesting, but it's so interesting. Um, she gets a little preachy about the environmental impacts uh, that modern life have on breast health and health in general. But if you can overlook that, or maybe you feel the same way as her and it will bother you. So I don't know, just, you know, grain of salt. It's fascinating regardless. So that's Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History by Florence Williams with a good cover. All right, my second pick for you is A Covert Affair, Julia Child and Paul Child in the OSS by Jeanette Conant. So this book is great. This is about how Julia Child, before she was on your TV screen, like dropping chicken and putting it back in the pan, (laughs) was uh, staff in the Office of Strategic Services, which was basically the pre- CIA, CIA. It's so good. It's so I good. Um, so during World War II, and then like during the the you know era of McCarthyism, um, she worked for the OSS. Um, and so uh, she she went on an ambitious mission um, to create a strategic intelligence network across Southeast Asia. Um, so she is like traveling. Uh, she's trying to like she's doing a lot of paperwork. Um, she's trying to figure out like what it is that her life is going to be like. And of course, she falls in love with Paul Child, who um, you know kind of took it upon himself to help her grow as an intellectual person and also, you know, like a person in the world, um, introduced her to all these experiences and, and you know, foods and books and whatnot um, and really wanted to, you know, help her have a more rich internal life, which is like, I, I have mixed feelings about it. It's both like a little bit condescending on and also lovely. So, you know, there's that. Um, <laughs> and Conan is using you know, primary source material, like, letters and stuff um, between the two of them, um, and talking about, like, the real-world events that are going on, and in the meantime, you have this love story of them falling in love and, you know, starting their lives together, Uh, and it's just kind of, I mean, it's, I just, like, I had no idea. She's such an interesting person, and reading about this early phase of her life before she becomes, like, you know, known for uh, being a cook is it just it was it's really fascinating it's also a really interesting look at like the secret intelligence service of america and how it got its start and you know how really terrifyingly far it's come since then um but yeah so super interesting portion of history that you don't often hear about with like this beautiful lens of looking at it through julia child's life so that is a covert affair by jeanette conant Okay, I think we can get through this. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so this, excuse me, this is from Hannah and Beth, who are a mother and daughter. Uh, I think Hannah's written it. So she says, I want to start a mini mother-daughter book club with my mom and maybe my best friend and her mom. My mom is a second-generation Italian and all about family and was a- yet was able to become a, sex- a successful businesswoman and breadwinner for the household. I really want something that will challenge us intellectually and yet bring us closer as mother and daughter. Do you have any suggestions on great reads that mom and I could read on our own time but then get together and talk about? P.S. Any genre. Uh, we would love any genre. We like to mix it up. Okay, I'll keep going. So my first pick for you is Shelter by Jung Yoon, which I just finished. And I picked this because it's about a family. You said your mom is a second-generation Italian, and the main character in this Kyung Cho is a second-generation Korean. So his parents moved to the U.S. from Korea um, when he was little and have become wildly successful. His father is an engineering professor and has a lot of patents and makes 
super loads, lots of money. But he also beats his wife. And his wife beat Kyung, the main character, when he, uh, when he was a child. And so they're not close. So Kyung has moved away from his parents, just a few miles, though, uh, into a, in a really nice neighborhood. He's got married. He has a child. Um, and he's kind of just doing the thing. He's got a very typical sort of American in the middle 2000s um, or 20-aughts, whatever, story where he is a professional. He's a professor. His wife doesn't work. They have a four-year-old. And they're in debt up to their eyeballs. They're underwater on their house. They're trying to figure out how to get out of it. And so these are the things that are happening in his private life. And then a, a like really brutal home invasion leaves his parents unable to take care of themselves. So he takes them in and things just begin to unravel. Like his parents and him obviously have a horrible history. He's got his own personal problems. The book is very dark, but it's also, so if that's not a thing that you think that you and your mom would like be cool with and maybe skip this one, but if you can handle it, um, it's going to bring it like, there's so much to talk about. I mean, there's, there's their immigration experience, there's violence, there's like, the way in which some cultures emphasize respecting your parents more than respecting your wife or your own children uh, and like how he has to deal with that and like how his American wife has to deal with that um, and how he as just like a man has to figure out how to become a good husband and a good father when all that he's ever known is like abuse and this kind of coldness from his parents uh, that he doesn't relate to or understand how to get over. So there's just like, man, it's full of family stuff to take apart and think about and talk about. Um, and I read it in like one sitting, um, not expecting to at all, because it's literary fiction and that's not like the uh, reputation that a lot of literary fiction has. But I sat down, like I sat down, opened it, thought I was going to read a page or two. And then I looked up and it was like four hours later. Whoops. <laughs> so it's excellent. So that's Shelter by Jung Yoon. My first pick for you guys is The Lady Matador's Hotel by Christina Garcia. Um, you mentioned you wanted something that would uh, like challenge you intellectually. Um, this is not a hard book, but it's a complicated structurally book. Uh, it's about, um, is it? Yeah, six different men and women who are all in this one hotel tell um, in a sort of unnamed Central American capital that is undergoing some political turmoil. Um, but there's a bullfight. And so they are all in town for various reasons, but the whole town is sort of taken over by preparation for this bullfight. Um, one of the characters is a Japanese-Mexican-American matadora um, who is there to compete. Um, there's a waitress who used to be a guerrilla fighter. There is a couple who have come to adopt a baby. Um, there's, a, like, Colonel, who is just a terrible human. Um, there's all of these different <laughs> people, uh, sort of, and they're all staying in the same hotel. And uh, intersecting, not intersecting, missing each other in hallways, having different experiences. Um, and it's just so well done. There's so many good characters to talk about. Um, the plot is really engaging, so it feels like a page-turner. Um, there's a touch of... Not, yeah, I guess a little magical realism. Like, there's a touch of things that are like, is this a supernatural thing happening right now? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but it's also very deeply concerned with just, like, what lives are like in this one situation and how people connect or don't connect. So I feel like it's, like, a, an ideal book club book. And there's a lot of great uh, women's stories in it, so it's really good for that, too. So that is The Lady Matador's Hotel by Christina Garcia. Okay, my second selection is Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk by Ben Fountain. Which I love is about this to be book. A movie. I, I know, it's so book. great. Um, and I, fi I saw the first preview um, oh. when I went to see, uh, oh, the Ghostbusters. Uh, they played the preview for this movie, and it's just like I cried at the 
preview. (laughs) 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 My feels. I'm not ready. Uh, Anyway, so Billy Lynn is a 19-year-old. He served in the war in Iraq as, you know, like a a grunt, I guess is the term. And he uh, is in Bravo Squad, and they... Uh, encountered some insurgents and there was fighting and they kind of like heroically, you know, survived or whatever. And during this battle, there was an embedded Fox News team. So all of that entire thing was caught on camera. So they've become kind of like heroes at home. And so the president, um, when the, and in the book it's Bush, so because it's set during that very particular time frame, has brought Bravo Squad home to do kind of like a victory tour because um, he's sending them out through like all of the swing states because there's an election coming up and their uh, stop that where the book takes place is at Texas Stadium on Thanksgiving during a Dallas Cowboys game and they are part of the halftime show hence the title Um, and the halftime show was like Beyonce and then these guys uh, literally and so uh, Billy the book follows him like from going overseas to Iraq and in the battle and then as he comes home and receives this kind of hero's welcome. And so it's from his point of view and it's so like the, the ways that people talk to him and I don't know if Ben Fountain is a veteran has experienced this or not but like he gets this how people fawn, especially, and I'm sure that people in the U.S. remember, especially during um, when Iraq first was happening, how people fawned over soldiers in this really uncomfortable way uh, where we, like, we have no idea what they've been through. We have no idea what it's like to go to the Middle East and to have your life threatened and to have to do things that you maybe don't agree with and then come home and have people, like, pat you on the back in airports and, like, say things to you that that don't even touch what your experience was like. And that's pretty much what this is about, how we give this sort of false appreciation to soldiers uh, that we send to the Middle East, who for the most part are boys um, who ha- who don't know what they're going into. And then when they come out, we don't know what they've gone through. Um, so that's what the book is about. And of course, just given the subject matter, there is so much to talk about. And I find that sometimes, at least in my family, um, there can be like a generational divide between how people view uh, the role of the soldier in especially in wars that are controversial so that might be a thing that you and your mother can talk about I talked about this book for forever with my parents and they didn't even read it and they probably got tired of hearing me listen listening to me talk about it anyway so that's Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk by Ben Fountain all right my second pick for you is Homegoing by Yaa Jesse um this book is amazing and it is an epic family story it starts in the 18th century in Ghana um, and there's two sisters who don't know, they're half-sisters, and they don't know about each other. Um, and one ends up married to an Englishman living in the castle on the Cape, um, which is also happens to be sort of the processing point for the slave trade leaving Ghana and heading to... Um, you know, the Caribbean, America, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so her children are uh, part white and um, stay in Ghana, and you get several generations of them. And then her half-sister, who she doesn't know about, um, ends up getting sent uh, on a boat to uh, America and is sold into slavery, and she also has children. And so the story starts there, and then each chapter you get a different uh, generation and story of their descendants. And it's so ambitious. And I thought it was so well done. Um, it is a hard book to read because, you know, 
she's unflinchingly, you know, ready to portray the complexities and the terribleness of the slave trade and and what um, chattel slavery was like in America um, and what it was like to be on the other side of it in Ghana. Um, and she, the characters are so interesting. Um, that my only complaint is that you don't get to spend enough time with them. Like I like it's already a long book. It's like three hundred pages, and I like would have read more. I would have read more about all of these people. Um, she does such a good job of bringing them to life, and there's so much history packed into it, and it's it's a really incredible book. So that is Homegoing by Ya Jesse, uh, which That's is spelled. Show. Oh, oh sorry. I just wanted to say it's spelled G Y A S I, um, but you'll see that in the show notes. So. So that's our show. That really is our show. <laughs> so, please go rate us on iTunes, leave a review. It makes the show easier to find when people are searching for it. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson on Twitter. Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors, which were, I don't remember, <laughs> After Anna um, by Alex Lake and the other one, To the Bright End of the World, Bright Edge of the World uh, by AON Ivy, which I'm so excited about. I love this no child so much, as Jen said. Um, so yeah, we will see y'all next week. Bye.